People yeah. really show you through the pet industry what they want in all the other industries too, which oh, yeah, is to sure. be loved, to be noticed, to be heard, and to be connected. CEOs on average read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep, deep knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working toward your goals every single day. If you are ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at MentorBox.com today. There, you'll find lessons from master marketers like Lee Richter. Lee is an award-winning business strategist and innovator. As the founder and CEO of Richter Communications, she has worked with top-level clients, including Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and the Stanford Research Institute, just to name a few. She's also releasing her first book through the Event Planners Association at New York Fashion Week 2018. In this conversation, we talk about the changing landscape of marketing with the rise of social media, how the identities of influencers have changed over time, and what it's like to rein in so many different types of audiences for clients in different industries. Oh, and for what it's worth, Lee also has a master's in grief counseling, which she generally uses for families who have recently lost their pets. She really does it all, folks. I hope you enjoy this one. Hello, 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 and welcome to the MentorBox podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, as usual, content coordinator of MentorBox, and today I am joined by a good friend, Lee Richter. Lee has helped us connect with so many different people across so many different platforms, uh, authors in particular. She is the founder of Richter Communications and Design Group, a an award-winning PR and marketing firm, and I'm so happy to have you with us today, Lee. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Tyler. It is such a joy and pleasure to be here with you. I'm glad. So, you said earlier, everything goes through marketing. If you want to, you know, be a successful business, if you want to scale, partner with a marketer. And I think you have a lot of different partnerships and in, in what you do, you work across so many different fields. It's really remarkable. Where did you first learn that you wanted to be a marketer? And did you know at that point that you were going to be a high level PR and marketing person? Wow, that is such a great question. Recently, I looked back in my history to find out when was that pivotal moment where I knew marketing was my path. And, you know, it goes back to when I was six, seven, and eight years old. Wow, that's early. And um, originally I thought it really went back to my college years, but no, my history goes back to uh, when I was six years old and started doing commercials and advertising. I was in... Uh, really? I think between six years old and 12 years old, I was in 25 commercials, national brands, Oscar Mayer hot dogs, Wonder Bread, Clairol shampoo, oh, man. Um, Ringo Lipton noodle soup. Did are, a lot. Are of these on things. YouTube now? Could you find these online if you, you know, wanted to? I haven't to? <laughs> looked. I should. I, you know, I really just recently was discovering that my path went that far back. Yeah, that's remarkable. And um, it was because someone like you asked me the question, and when I went through my my history, I was like, wow, I've really been doing this since I was six years old. And um, I was in Sears magazines and JCPenney magazines, modeling kids' clothing and mm -hmm. all kinds of products along the way. And 
uh, even things for Western Electric that was in the New Yorker. Now, I did see that recently because a friend of mine was in the archives of the New Yorker and printed it for me. Really? <laughs> um, but it takes me way back. Yeah, I was about seven years old when I did that. And what I realized is that from an early age, I understand and understood um, what an influencer does. Mm-hmm. And now it's more prevalent because we have social media and of we course. see so many influencers rising to the top. But back then there were only some here and there. And I was working with an influencer that was an agent in New York. His name is Dick Miller. He was on the cover of TV Guide when I was little. And, you know, he just was instrumental in helping me get my SAG card and just being part of the industry and being part of advertising. So it goes back early on and I loved it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't always like all the hours that went into it (laughs) because I remember when I was 12, I I said to my mom that I'd rather be out playing with my friends than in the Twin Towers recording another commercial. So sure. so I did make my priorities clear at the time that friend time was more important. But I think it was already instilled in me that advertising is a way of America. Yeah, it planted something in your brain and that kind of grew over time, it sounds just exciting. Absolutely. Did you study marketing in college then? Is that why you mentioned that briefly? I did. Actually, while I was in college, I went through marketing and journalism school at University of Florida. Oh, wow. And um, as a Florida Gator, even the quarterback of the football team was in my class in journalism. Uh, So he made it pretty cool for all of us. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we loved uh, writing stories and sharing stories. And I had a weekly column in the newspaper with over 50,000 weekly readership (laughs) and um, started learning the power of the pen and the power of the word. And uh, how important photos are to include. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was in college that I really was bit by the bug that I wanted this to be part of my future as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned influencers earlier, and, of course, you ultimately are one, I would argue, yourself right now, and you deal with a lot of them. I'm curious. I, I think about this from a theoretical standpoint a lot, like what influencers were and always have been, because they've always been out there. But like you mentioned, social media really kind of, maybe solidified the identity of what that is or gave new opportunities as to what an influencer can be and what sort of brands they can impact. But people with the sort of influence that, you know, those sorts of people have, have always existed. They just haven't been as visible, perhaps. And it sounds like you've probably been working as that sort of person for most of your life at this point, working in marketing. Have you seen a significant development of, you know, how individuals influence markets change as platforms have changed as well? Have you kind of watched that happen as a professional marketer yourself? Absolutely. And and that's a poignant point right now. Because there's so many different platforms, there's opportunities for more people to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Instagram right now, that's a big place. I mean, oh, yeah. Instagram TV, having all of these opportunities for people to share their stories you never know what's going to take off and you never know what people are going to love or really, really despise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes just when it's put out there, the reaction tells everything. Yeah, of course. I always say it's based on perspective and reaction, mm-hmm. right? So those are the two things, our perspective when we're reading it or re- replying to it and the reaction that we you know, have as well. Influencers have always been around, but they didn't always always have the platform and the vocal capacity to reach as many people. Yeah, it wasn't always content-based, you know. Now it's pictures, it's Twitter messages, that sort of thing. So much creativity. I mean, we have given so many ways that people can be creative. And some people use it authentically and some people don't. But when they use it authentically and it goes viral, there's something about it touching the heartstrings, you Mm -hmm. know, where... 
you see, you know, a, a reaction of a person to a pet or a person to a child, and and it goes viral because people just that w- want that warm fuzzy feeling. Of course. Now they might have been an unknown, and then they turn into an influencer based on that situation, but it's what they do with it after, mm-hmm. you know. So sometimes they need a little bit of guidance, or education, or just internal compass on what to do with it after. Mm-hmm. Some of the influencers really deserve to be because they do add value and some of them, you know, weed themselves out over time. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think then that because there wasn't always that opportunity to go instantly viral because there wasn't, you know, this mass availability of content? Yeah, exactly. Do you think that, I mean, of course it was a different landscape, you know, being an influencer or a marketer of any sort, but was that still sometimes the goal, you know, from your perspective in the in the profession, was making a, a widely visible impact or dealing with people who were largely visible? Was that always a goal of yours, you know, reaching those high up sorts of influencers mm-hmm. when there weren't platforms like that? Or was it more just really spreading yourself as wide as possible and doing as much work to, you know, market your own brand as possible? It matters on the client I'm working with at the time. And yes, mm-hmm. some of them are my brands and I'll be creative around how can we reach the right audience at the right time. But some of them are other clients that I just take on their brand. Over the years, I've had clients uh, like Autodesk. I've done projects for them. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't necessarily want to be famous, but they do want to be seen as someone who knows how to build a bridge and keep people safe and do it well. So we want them to be an influencer with those people who would write stories about sure. that and include them. So it would be a different perspective and a different audience that I'm looking forward to connect with to share those stories mm-hmm. than maybe somebody who was selling makeup or wine from Napa Valley. <laughs> uh, if they're selling wine from different Napa Valley, I'm, sure. t- I'm tapping into the lifestyle. I'm tapping yeah. into lifestyle editors. I'm talking to them about how to incorporate this into people's health and well-being or casual time. So mm-hmm. there are two different instances, but we go about it the same way where we're looking at is this relevant? Is it timely? Is it something their audience would be interested in? Okay. And if it meets those criteria, then we will find the right media to work with. Do we want them to be going national with it? It depends on the brand. Sometimes sure. it's international. Back in the day when we knew the editors one by one, when I called, you know, Inc. Magazine or Wired Magazine or New York Times, I knew those editors. Like I worked with them over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. The landscape is Definitely different now. Oh, yeah. It is so difficult to have the same person in that position for any great length of time. Mm-hmm. But also, there's so many other bloggers and other people that are even higher influencers now that yeah. I'd want to reach even more. So if I had a product coming out for, say, the Republic of Tea, even though it's a lifestyle product, the list of editors would be different for them than it would maybe for um, another piece of the lifestyle, including wine or cheese or something like that. Yeah. So from that end of the the equation, it seems like things have become exponentially more complicated because not only is it probably more difficult to keep track of, you know, the larger editors for those big magazines and to stay in touch with them, but there's also all these opportunities for micro-influencers and smaller blogs and magazines that do have influence that are just smaller, which really just means that you have to reach out to more people if you want to get to those you know, segments of the audience. Yes. But at the end of the day, it seems like what's happening is that audiences are becoming more like micro segmented where they're finding even more specific niches that fit them. So you can have an even smaller group here and there and there. Ultimately, they're going to fit under big brands, you know, and you're dealing with 
or not brands, but uh, industries and products and that sort of thing. And you deal with large enough overarching brands that I feel like they collect a lot of these sub audiences. Mm -hmm. But do you find yourself either coordinating your teams or doing the work yourself where you're actually trying to learn these like sub markets and meeting new small bloggers and magazines and that sort of thing a lot? I love that you asked that because that is something a year ago, September will be a year ago where one of our companies is related to pet health. Mm -hmm. And in pet health, of course, nutrition is the basis for all of it. Mm -hmm. So rather than talking about here's dog food for dogs, we then talked about here's the best nutrition for your Shih Tzu. Here's the best nutrition for your Doberman Mm -hmm. so that it's breed specific. So it says exactly what you're saying. Now the people are not just looking for dog food. They're looking for best food for my particular dog. And so it's become so segmented that the groups even on Facebook are, you know, for the love of a Shih Tzu is one of them. And they have more followers yeah. and more integration and more um, people actually speaking every single day and sharing pictures every single day than almost any other brand that I see. And it's all breed specific. Yeah. So that's just one example of one industry. But yes, I think all over we're seeing it do that. But also those small brands still want to connect with the larger brands. Mm -hmm. So it gets reverse engineered too, where they still know connection matters more than anything. And they don't want to just be off on an island by themselves. They still want to be connected to nutrition as a whole. Of course. But then splinter off and say, let's talk about our Shih Tzus together. Yeah. I was going to say, I, my favorite thing on Instagram is like the four or five dog profiles that I follow and (laughs) they're all connected to like their own breeds, larger, you know, profiles or whatever like there's a corgi that i like who's in seattle and every time that corgi posts you know like i love corgis responds with a heart emoji or something like that which just indicates that like through some thread or some tangent these folks are connected by the content that they create and the interest that they have but it's it's a very specific interest now and not only and corgi the, owners only think like corgi owners and yeah. once they have one they add another one and then all of a sudden you're hearing about their fourth and their fifth one and yeah, yeah. they just understand the breeds so much and love them and it ends up being that way for so many breeds and mm-hmm. then you can just transfer that into any any industry if people yeah. really show you through the pet industry what they want in all the other industries too which oh, yeah, is to sure. be loved to be noticed to be heard and to be connected hey I hate to interrupt this conversation with Lee Richter, but I want to let you know where you can learn more about high-level marketing. We've recorded a number of videos featuring expert marketers and master business strategists, but per usual, those are exclusively for MentorBox members. If you want access to that and much, much more, be sure to visit MentorBox.com today. All right, back to the show. Do you think that this mass availability through social media, again, of content and of, you know, more specific audience type and information, whereas you're actually like targeting breeds, for instance, do you think that that allows the audiences to then themselves become more specialized and more educated on their own preferences and that sort of thing? So like, yes. Because of the time corgi owners are now better corgi owners, that sort it's of thing? It's true. And if they're a corgi owner and you are, you understand each other better. Okay. Yes. That is just a insight into what you need to do for your audience, no matter what industry you're in. Mm-hmm. Just use that as an example and, and know your audience that well. Yeah. Because um, driving a red Porsche is different than driving a black Porsche. Mm. There's wow. the red Porsche club. I didn't know that. That's <laughs> well, interesting. You know, police will tell you they notice the red cars and stop them more. You know, there's yeah, something I, about it. Hmm. Um, but it's just a mindset. It's just where where they're thinking, how they position themselves. They yeah. notice every red 
Porsche after they own one mm-hmm. for a reason. It's just they're segmented in that piece of the population and paying attention to that piece right now. And I think us as marketers, that's how we need to think about our customers. What are they thinking about right now? And yeah. how do we get into the conversation that they're already having? So we just jumped from Corgis to Porsches, which is, I think, indicative of like how you know expansive your own knowledge is. And that's what blows my mind is that you're saying you need to think of how your your customers are thinking right now in that time. But you're talking about so many different industries and, and categories and audiences. How and do you keep track of be, them all? Every single audience can be segmented into their likes and yeah. references. So how do you and, keep track of that? Like as an individual who's kind of at the top level of things, I'm sure you have your teams and you have people, but how do you you know wrap your mind around it all? I think that's part of it is each company has its own leader. And yeah. I make sure that I connect with the leader where they are okay. and how they know their audience is reacting to things right now. Mm-hmm. And things that are working right now are not necessarily the same things that worked even a quarter ago, never mind a year ago. So you have to really hand on the pulse and be paying attention to your customers at a regular basis. Where Mm -hmm. are they right now? What are their conversations now? That's what's beautiful about launching books is because when people read books and then they post their reviews through their reviews, you can see where their mind space is right now. Mm -hmm. Actually asking for them to post a review is doing them a favor so they can tap in what's important to them right now. Yeah, of course. But they allow us as marketers to fulfill what's important to them right now. Mm -hmm. So it's a really great way to not only serve the community, but really pay attention to where the trends are going or where we've missed filling a gap somewhere and go ahead and fill it now. So our audience Mm -hmm. will tell us if we give them the opportunity to. However, if you launch a book and you don't ask for reviews, you'll get a lot less reviews. (laughs) Naturally. But if you launch a book and ask for reviews and you get reviews, that actually is the best marketing information for you to do better for your clients right now. Mm -hmm. Because through their reviews, they're going to tell you what they love and what they need. I would think that books, though, they're they're a slower media. They're a slower medium, ultimately. So books, they take a little while to write and they're static. Once it's out there and it's published, you know, it can't really change. It's static except for through your beautiful videos. Of course. Because with MentorBox having the <laughs> videos, the book comes alive, the ideas from the author comes alive, and yeah. now it's a way of seeing in this moment what are they thinking and what's important to them. Yeah, that is true. I, I think, and thank you for the, the mention there as to our videos. We but put that's a lot what of makes MentorBox those, so. fun <laughs> is being able to see those the set of videos that you guys do oh, with absolutely. the authors. And because then it's... What's important to the author? It's not just the book. It's also what exactly. the book means and, to and them. And the passion is visible as well as they speak and that sort of thing. The tonality yeah. of their voices. I'm a huge fan of that. And that's why YouTube is so much fun too, because <clears throat> some people do readings. They might do a chapter reading. They might yeah. do uh, different ways to reach out to the author. Um, you guys have your videos that you share, but they get to continue that either through mm-hmm. their Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube exactly. um, personalities sharing. Yeah. So my point is that books are... You know, like I said, they take a while to write and they're not as easily updated. So like I this think podcast. Of, yeah. So like, you know, you can put on a new podcast every week, that sort of thing. When you put a book out there, you can write a new book, but it often takes years or something like that. I mean, you can throw in a little insert. I used to work in like textbook publishing, so I know how the revision process is. But I'm thinking of like, you know, online, if you have shorter form content like a blog, like a podcast, anything written, even just Facebook posts and Instagram posts, that sort of thing, you can rotate and you can update, you know, the information that you're disseminating every day and you can correct things if you were wrong or something like but that. But even when you write a book, you so. can have it still come to live through your blog. Like the book ended there, but this is still going on. Yeah, that's absolutely so true. So you tie it back into 
work you've already done and how you've sure. learned that or how case studies come across. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might have people sending in letters or videos or testimonials where in real time you can share those and say, oh, here's how it's developed now or here's mm-hmm. how it helps someone now and just let it keep living on. Yeah. So, so that, do you... That's going to be like the next, the, you know, book 2.0 launch is, oh, sure. is let it live on. Do you then recommend that the folks that you work with, those who are authors, that they actually have more of a living online brand and persona that if they have a book, they also have like a blog or something where they're tied into the name of the book. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And even possibly have meetup groups that meet in person, because I'll tell you, you talk about deepening the relationship with your fans and your readers and, and the people following you is meet them in public or meet them in a, an arena where you could see them one-on-one once in a while. So Mm -hmm. if 90% is done online, it'd be nice if 10 to you know, at least 10% was done in person. So as I'm traveling to different cities and speaking or being part of masterminds or things, what I'll do with my audience is let them know I'm in town and let maybe 10 or 15 sign up for a meetup with me, maybe just a visit or a mastermind impromptu book reading, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, just so that we can connect and I can get feedback from the community in real time of what's working and not working for them. Mm -hmm. So that's how I can share even higher value with them is being in touch with them in person. Mm -hmm. So recently I was in an event where the there were 60 of us in Mexico during an eight-day process. And how deep our relationships got in that eight days was extraordinary. And some of these people sure. I've known for years, but by having that experience with them in person, it's deepened so many more forward-thinking opportunities for us. Mm-hmm. We actually just uh, did a series of courses with Mike Zeller. He runs a number of different masterminds, or he has over time. His current one is called Rising Stars Mastermind out of Nashville, I believe. And he is very, very zealous about how positive masterminds are on personal development and just education, group work, partnerships, that sort of thing. It's really remarkable how many things you can achieve just by getting into a group that is actively and deliberately dedicated to helping each other and learning and developing new skills and that sort of thing. And I can tell that. And it's a safe place. Yeah. It's a safe place where you can come in and uh, Lisa Nichols, one of my favorite people that I love to work with in a mastermind. Mm -hmm. She says, it's a place we could take our cape off. We don't have to be the superhero. We can come in with our challenges and be transparent and pull the curtain back and just ask for help and and not worry about being judged and not worry about, you know, feeling like a failure, not feeling good enough, mm-hmm. because in there is where we all get to improve together. Yeah. And um, that's what makes it such a tight community. So I love masterminds. Sometimes I just do a three day mastermind and put it together. And it's just for those three days. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's quarterly and sometimes it's annually. And each one has a different reason why I bring it into my life. Of course, yeah. And um, I'm in a quarterly mastermind right now. Uh, and I have been for years with strategic coach. And everyone always asks me, why are you in strategic coach? And I love it because it's it creates structure. Mm-hmm. Every time we're there, we're there once a quarter. We're reporting what happened in the last quarter, but we're also observing the structure and the things, the policies and standard operating procedures we have in place to help our team and ourselves be more successful. And as the CEO and being, you know, I don't want to say a workaholic because I'm not. I balance <laughs> it with life a lot. I have a lot of fun, um, including just eight days in Mexico on a retreat. Sure. Right? However... The policies, the procedures have to be in place for my team to be able to make educated decisions, even if I'm not there and run the business as a self-managed company, whether I'm there or not. Mm -hmm. And they can do a great job. So by having those procedures in place, it helps. And Strategic Coach over the years has taught me 
how even having a procedure in place on how people present an idea to me is important. So I love having that structure in my life and I love meeting with them once a quarter and measuring what did I accomplish and where am I going and, you know, celebrating what I accomplished in the last quarter. I think sometimes as a leader, we don't always stop and just notice all the things we just accomplished. And Mm -hmm. at Strategic Coach, they make us notice. And it's a really nice thing to do is sit and celebrate with other global leaders about their success and and just feel really purely good about it. Yeah. So speaking of success and celebrating that you're going to be in New York fashion week in a couple of weeks. Oh, actually Monday. One is week. It? Yes. I'm leaving in less than a week now. Oh, wow. Yeah. The count is on. <laughs> well, congratulations because there you're doing your book release, right? Yes. Yes. Um, for the event planners association and club, uh, we're launching a book that highlights 20, uh, absolutely extraordinary event planners in the industry. And we're highlighting them. And the book is called How to Create Events to Remember. Mm -hmm. And yes, the first day of New York Fashion Week, uh, we're going to be there on September 6th. And that will be the day we're launching the book. Awesome. So find the booth. It'll be... It will be labeled after the the club or will have your name on it? Yeah, we're going to be at... um, We're going to be at the Manhattan Center. Okay. And there's three stories there. And it's with Style Fashion Week. And um, I think there's about 30 or 40 uh, designers that will be presenting there during Mm -hmm. that um, weekend from Thursday through Sunday. And so, yes, I will have a booth there. I'm going to be interviewing people live on our podcast. And also we're going to be interviewing people um, for the Event Planners Club and um, some of the experts that are there and just sharing some behind the scenes uh, what's going on and and how things are working there. So I'm very excited about it. We have 100 event planners coming with us. Um, Some of them are volunteering. Some of them are are attending the show. Some are coming as photographers and some are going to be doing interviews. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be a really fun time. That's fascinating. I'm I'm excited for you. Congrats on the book, of course. And thank you. And we couldn't have planned that better. That it's launching the first day of New York Fashion Week for us um, (laughs) is extraordinary because we thought it was going to launch more like in the summer, Um, but here it is. You know, Labor Day weekend. It's perfect. That is convenient. That's great. Perfect. Well, um, any other ways that you want our folks to be able to contact you, your website or any handles that you have, social media, anything like that? Sure. Well, you know, if you look under Lee Richter, Richter, like the. Richter scale. (laughs) And it's L-E-E. Lee Richter on YouTube. Um, I have a lot of mentor moments on there. So sometimes I'll do podcasts or interview people and I'll go ahead and post, you know, short little mentor moments, little things that I've learned from other people that turn into big lessons and and big finds. So I love that sharing that with people and uh, they can find that at YouTube. And uh, Go Ask Lee is my website, goasklee.com. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today, Lee. It was great chatting with you about your very vast and broad and amazing expertise in marketing. This is a great conversation. I look forward to uh, another one. Thank you. Great. All right, everybody else, have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. 
We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.